38% of women and 33% of Ohio men experience intimate partner physical violence, intimate partner rape, or intimate partner stalking in their lifetimes. One in three women and one in four men have experienced some form of physical violence from an intimate partner. And on any typical day, domestic violence hotlines receive 21,000 calls and approximately 15 calls every minute. Our next guest is Leanne Biltz. She's from Hope and Healing. She's going to tell us what it is, what is domestic abuse, how you know it may be happening to you, and what you can do. That's up next on Recovery Talks, the podcast. Direct from Akron, Ohio, the epicenter of modern recovery. This is Recovery Talks, the podcast. From those in recovery to those working in recovery, meet those who are shining the light on Recovery Talks right now. Welcome, everybody, to this episode of Recovery Talks. I'm Mark Shannon, and I'm your host. Today, I am so honored to have Leanne Biltz here with me today. And this topic is something that you typically won't hear on this podcast, but I think it's so super important that we've decided that this is you know, really what we present. And let me tell you a little bit about Leanne first. Leanne graduated from Kent State University in 2011 with a bachelor's in sociology, and she currently works for Hope and Healing, which is the battered women's shelter and the rape crisis center. She is the volunteer coordinator for Summit County, but also provides education and outreach. And I was so um, lucky to meet Leanne at a local recovery event where I was walking around the tables trying to get a sense of energy and vibe because that's what I do. And I came upon her table and I noticed the way she was talking to people, and I just felt uh, I really needed to talk to this person. Of course, you were we were all super hot that day. <laughs> and it was like you couldn't possibly yes. drink enough water. And I remember you looked up at me like, oh, yeah, okay, dude, what, what, what? Okay, what? You were just really, really super kind to me. But, you know, today's topic is a very serious one. And I want to talk a little bit about uh, what it is. And we're going to talk today for our listeners about domestic violence. And what I understand, and you can correct me, Leanne, is domestic violence is sort of the willful intimidation, physical assault, battery, sexual assault, and or other abusive behavior is part of a systematic pattern of power and control perpetrated by one's intimate partner against another. I had to look that up because I didn't know how to actually describe it. And I wanted to make sure I got it right. How did I do? You got it right. You got it pretty much nail on the head. Um, so if I could, can I talk a little bit about the difference between domestic violence and intimate partner violence? Because they kind of are two different things. I, I really, really want to turn it over to you because you're the expert here. So please go. Excellent. Great. So yeah, your definition is not wrong by any means. We are trying to move more towards um, this term of intimate partner violence um, as opposed to domestic violence. Um, domestic violence um, sometimes includes just family violence, right? Like a mom to a child or something like that. Right, where intimate right. partner violence has that intimate, you know, it's your former partner or a spouse. And like you said, it's all about power and control. Mm. And also when we talk about domestic violence, we generally think of like a man and a woman, right? That's the, that's the visual that we get. And it's not wrong, but it is very limited, so if I think of just a man and a woman, and if I just think of physical violence, which most people think of, right? Bruises, broken bones, things like that. I'm missing 
a lot of other type, types of violence, and I'm missing a lot more folks who are affected by this crime. So if I kind of take my blinders off and realize that there's more relationships than just husbands and wives, right? Like there's cohabitating partners, there's divorced partners, separated partners, there's husbands and husbands, wives and wives, girlfriends and girlfriends. I mean, it runs the gamut, right? Right, right, right. And also there's more types of violence than just physical. Uh, there's that emotional violence, there's financial abuse, those, there's coercion, manipulation, there's all types of violence. So we really want to take those blinders off and start using intimate partner violence as opposed to domestic violence. So just kind of wanted to clear that up, but you're definitely not wrong. So I guess one of the questions I had being a novice, right, and being new to this topic and making sure that we, you know, we really can help inform our, our listeners is I would imagine, and, and it's like we were saying before we started recording, everybody on this podcast knows I'm a recovering alcoholic and addict, right? And I missed a lot of the mile marker signs. I missed them. And um, it took me really being able to look back and go, you know, that's when this started. It was this. And I think we talked about, for me, people ask me, well, how did you know you're an alcoholic? How did you know you're an addict? Well, to me, it was, you know, I told myself it wasn't happening. It, you know, I could stop this. I wasn't going to drink today. And then I couldn't do it. And then the second thing is, is of course, for me, it was once I started drinking, I couldn't stop. So I would imagine that there is a, a sort of a, a moment of awakening for people who come to you and say, man, I should have known. So I guess my question is, how do you know? How do you know this is happening to you? So this is a, a really difficult question to answer because everybody's journey is so different. I always teach that um, when we get in relationships with these folks, they don't come out swinging per se. They don't come out with these manipulation tactics. They don't come out being um, isolating you from friends and families. They put their best foot forward, right? They are the best versions of themselves. And that's the person that we fall in love with. They don't show that ugly side who knows? It could be three months, six months, two years, 10 years down the road. So ultimately, you know, our survivors love these people. Um, they could be the parents of their, their children. And it's often very hard to leave uh, because they ultimately love this person. There are so many reasons why people don't leave, but it kind of boils down to they, they do ultimately love them. They want them to change. But we also teach um, the cycle of abuse, Okay. Um, so people go through a cycle of abuse and um, it's often looks, has three stages. Sometimes there's four, but it often looks like that first stage is tension. There's like walking on eggshells, um, lack of communication. You're always on edge. You can't please your partner. And then that second stage is some sort of um, explosive attack. There could be an injury. There could be fear, anger. And then we've moved into that third stage, which is the honeymoon stage, right? That looks like, I'm sorry, I'll never do that again. I love you. I was just having a bad day. Like, let's go on a date. Let's start over. Um, and that's, that's one cycle. And research shows that women, the research is on women, women go through that cycle on average of seven times before they decide to leave. So that's on average. You know, some people say, man, it could take hundreds of times. Absolutely. So when people come to the shelter, they do leave the shelter to go back to their abusers. But we know that that is part of the cycle of abuse. And we just say, it's not, 
what we want for you, but like we are here for you. You can always come back. Our door is always open. Everybody's rock bottom is different, right? In recovery as well, right? Everybody's rock bottom is different. Absolutely. And sometimes you have to go through several rock bottoms. You're just not sure. I thought that was it. Now, oh, wow, that happened also. And you just don't know. It's really, it's a progression. It's a disease for me and it's a progression. It just continues. It just continues. So I, when you mentioned before about partners, I, I, I just noticed this one statistic, which we talked about before we started recording, that 38% of Ohio women and 33% of Ohio men experience some sort of intimate partner physical violence. That's incredible. That's incredible. That's four in 10. When, you, when you're dealing with those types of numbers, how do they walk in the door for you? you you've got to be able to, I would imagine if I'm listening to this podcast right now and I'm identifying with some of the things that's being talked about, then I mean, the natural course is, okay, I have to find out where these people are. And then I have to decide if I'm going to go get some help. You know, so that front door is what it's, it's interesting to me. How do you deal with people when they're right at the front door of, I'm asking for help? So there's a couple ways if you want to, um, there's like baby steps. Like you want to follow us on social media, you know, to kind of keep up with what we're doing. Um, people can always follow us on social media, um, Batter Women Shelter. Our shelter um, actually holds 158 people. We are very large. Um, I think we're the largest in the state currently. Wow. Um, so generally, historically, battered women shelters have been um, very hush-hush, right? Like people don't know where they're located. They're generally houses. That's kind of the grassroots movement of women really taking women in their own homes and it expanded to this. Um, so we don't hide our shelter. We let people know the address. It's 974 East Market Street in Akron. It's on our website, it's on social media, it's on our brochures. We want people to come to us. We want people to know where we're at. But if you are seeking immediate shelter, like you are in an emergency shelter situation, fleeing from domestic violence or intimate partner violence, they can call our hotline, which is 330-374-1111. And folks have to call that number in order to get to shelter. Um, so we just do a quick screening over the phone, see if we have any availability, coordinate a time that they can get to the shelter safely, right? That's important. And then we can accept them, like I said, if they meet the criteria. Um, but they have to call the hotline first. Unfortunately, they just can't show up at the door unless being like transported by police or things like that, if it's a really emergency situation. But you just never know who knows who. You know, our, our survivors are number one. Their confidentiality and their safety are number one to us. Right. So we're talking to Leanne Biltz from Hope and Healing. And, you know, some of the things that, that I was curious about is, obviously, how do you know? How do you know? If I'm, if I'm self-identifying, uh, and for me, in my case, being autobiographical, I mean, I had to, at some point, look in the mirror and go, dude, you got a problem. You know, and I had to say that to myself. Lots of times, lots of times before I finally got some help and was finally able to say the three magic words in recovery, which are, please help me, right? I had to be able to say those words, which would not come out of my mouth, right? How do you know if our listeners are out there right now, what are the signs 
that you could say to them, you know what, if this is happening, it might be something you might be self-identifying here. We often refer to this as uh, the power and control wheel. And it's a visual aid if anybody wants to look it up, power and control wheel. You know, we all can see bruises and broken bones, right? Um, Those things that are present on the outside that we can see, but the power and control wheel really goes into the things that happen that abusers use that you can't see on the outside. So they're more hard to detect, such as um, using coercion and threats. If my partner is punching holes in the wall, they're smashing my phone, I come home to a gun on the table. That is very threatening, right? Um, That is intimate partner violence. It doesn't present on the outside, but that's not a healthy household to go home to. Things such as isolating. Um, If your partner isolates you from friends, family, from having a job, things like that are very telltale sign. Um, Financial abuse is something that folks don't often talk about, but it happens in um, 99% of intimate partner violence cases. Financial abuse is things like giving um, an unrealistic budget. You know, you have $10 to spend for the week or changing the passwords to the bank accounts, changing passwords to the ATM so you don't have access to the money. Right, secrecy. I'm not even knowing how much money you guys have as, as, a, as a household. What would you say to the thing that comes pops in my mind right now is is obviously this is a very, very personal, very difficult thing for someone to self-identify. But often, often our friends, mm-hmm. our family members see it before we do. I can't tell you how many times people sat me down and go, man, mm-hmm. you know, do you know what you did last night? Do you know what happened? And I'd be like, nah, no, dude, it wasn't that bad. But how can friends or family help? in this instance, because obviously the person is in the situation has to make the move, has to make that move. No one can do it for you, but how do friends and family help? Yeah, you got it. Totally. Um, We always just say it can be so frustrating um, to see that person in this cycle of violence. I'm experiencing these power and control tactics because these folks who abuse are master manipulators. It's all about power and control, like you mentioned like our friends and family see that. And what we say is it can be so frustrating for that person to not leave. You know, we're like begging, please call the police, please go to therapy, please go to the shelter. Like I'll house you. And if they're not ready, they're not ready. And you just have to support them. Don't get frustrated, be there, support them. You know, believe them is also very important. Not minimizing what they're going through, not denying or blaming like, oh, he's such a nice guy. He would never do that. He's so sweet to me and my kids. I, I just know he can't treat you like that because people are very different behind closed doors. But supporting them and believing them and when they are ready to call the shelter or they are ready to call our hotline for some a therapy referral, just sitting with them and telling them that, that, they're, that they're doing a great job and providing emotional support. But like you said, you can't make you know somebody leave um, their abusive situations and everybody's rock bottom is so different. When people are ready to leave, They're ready to leave and they will leave, but it it has to be on their time. We're going to take a short break right now and we're going to be right back after a short message. Okay, we're back uh, to Recovery Talks, the podcast, and we're here with Leanne Bills from Hope and Healing. And if you found us here at Recovery Talks, the podcast, you probably went to recoverytalks.org where you can find all the episodes from the first three seasons that are up and posted. And Leanne, I just want to talk about talking about it. 
I know that in the recovery community is I work with people in either a peer recovery support role or in a sponsorship role or just a pal role. I know how important it is with the concept of what we call holding space, right? And holding space in my definition is where somebody is finally ready to talk about it, but you don't push your whole, okay, you gotta, you gotta do this. You gotta do that. You gotta do And we, we want you to, and you know, you really, you know, where you just sit with them and you hold space while they arrive at that place that they needed to get to. And you don't facilitate, you know, some major motion or you grab them by the hand and say, we're going to go now. I think that that is so underspoken about how important that moment is to allow someone to arrive at that moment and be there with them. So tell me a little bit about how that happens for you guys. I mean, it must be a very painful, difficult thing to realize. A, this is happening to me. B, what's this going to mean to me and my family and my kids and my job and my life? I still love this person. I still love this person. How do you arrive? How do you talk to people about this? We uh, are huge fans of the trauma-informed approach, which is really meeting the person where they're at. Like you said, um, not forcing them, not saying, oh my gosh, you need to do X, Y, and Z and everything will be better. We meet them where they're at. We use a lot of listening and communication skills. When people are at the shelter, they just want to tell their story. They want to talk. And it's also important to mention that They do get linked up with um, a case manager in the shelter. Everybody has a case manager. So everybody is working on um, different goals and everybody's goals are so different. Their goals could be getting a job or getting their license or changing school districts for their kiddos, or it could be, I just need to shower. I need to take care of myself today. And we just meet them where they're at, whatever they're ready to share with us. We are there to support them, never victim blaming them. Um, never questioning, why did it take you so long? Things like that. Really meeting them where they're at is so beneficial to our survivors. So I'm looking at the the brochure that I grabbed that day, that super hot day where we met, and I'm seeing three basic headings that I see is client programs, client services. You talk about programs that are offered, um, services offered, and how to support hope and healing. So talk to me a little bit about client programs. What I'm seeing here is that there's a 24-hour crisis hotline, there's a 24-hour shelter services, adult protective services, court advocacy family stability program. Wow. There's so many programs here that you guys offer. Tell me a little bit about the client programs and the staff that you have there. So we do offer, like I said, that 24 hour hotline. Yeah. 365 days of the year. We're there for you. Christmas Eve, give us a call. Somebody will answer that phone. And um, that's the phone number that if you're not sure how to leave, our advocates can provide some safety planning, how to get out of the situation, brainstorming, making a plan so that you can get to the shelter safely. You said we might offer 24-7, you know, shelter services. And I really want to mention that Hope and Healing is all about hope and healing for everyone. Um, The Battered Women's Shelter states we only serve women, and that is not true. We serve men, women, um, elderly, LGBTQ, trans folks, immigrants, refugees, deaf or hard of hearing. I mean, anybody can suffer abuse. This crime does not pick and choose, right? 
So the shelter is for everyone. We do house men there as well. It's important to recognize that. Um, but we also, you touched on court advocacy, which is so important. Um, these folks, our, our staff help with civil protection orders. Um, they help walk survivors through the court system because court's very confusing, you know, very intimidating. It's a long process. So our court advocates really take time and say, okay, this is what's going to happen next. This is why it's taking so long. Okay, there's a hearing in a couple of weeks. They keep them in the know, which is so important and valuable. And we do have some housing programs. Family stability is one of them and steps to independence. So folks can't stay at the shelter forever. The average is about 60 to 90 days, I would say, for folks. It might vary a little bit now because of COVID. There's just more obstacles and things like that. So they can't stay there forever. So we do have some programs that get them housing on their own within their budget, something that they can maintain so they don't go back to their abuser. Right. So, you know, one of the things that I think that really helps in the community that I'm aware of is peer-to-peer support groups. I think that if there was anything that I can tell people, the three things that helped me was, A, I had to get into a place where I went into long-term abstinence. I just had to quit using. And number two, I had to find people like me that could relate to me. They could say, you did that. I did that. This happened to you. This happened to me. You know what I mean? You got in trouble with the popo. I got in trouble with the popo. You know, I mean, I'm making light of it now, but I I, I just have to tell you that that peer-to-peer element of recovery, and I would imagine for you also, that was just, I mean, quite possibly the most important part about to me to see I was not bad. I was not a a person that had poor quality or a poor character. I had just been, for me and my sake, I had a medical problem I had to solve, which was addiction, right? But, But for your clients, I would say it would be super important to see there's other people that can relate to them and say, yeah, this this is happening to me too. It's a game changer for me. So tell me a little bit about how that works for you guys. Sure. So that's really how the domestic violence movement happened. It was women kind of coming together, realizing that this isn't an individual woman's problem. This isn't just happening to me because I have done something wrong. This is happening to a bunch of women. And I kind of call it like the pre-Me Too movement. Mm -hmm. Because it really is about, oh, that happened to you. That happened to me too. Oh, that happens. Oh, that happens to me too. So that's when women started really taking each other in. It was a turning point. It really was. Yes. It was a tipping tipping point and a turning point. It really was. Mm -hmm. Because everyone finally had the courage to say, wait a minute, that happened. Right. And that was what we just didn't see in a lot of levels in that specific area. So services offered, I also see, you know, you guys do so, so much. But I mean, I want to get to, you know, a little bit about, you know, how your organization um, supports others. Of course, we know that. But how can people support you? How does that work? Sure. So there are um, a couple options. Obviously, we um, take donations. We thrive off of donations. Our community gives back so much to us. And um, if they want to go to our website, which is um, www.hopeandhealingresources.org, There is a donate button and there's also a how to get involved button um, that they can click. And sometimes that looks like if they want to have, you know, like a jeans day at work or like a golf outing, um, people can get really creative or like a a bake sale or things like that. 
Um, we are very open to to donations and the community, like I said, is just right. so giving to us. Or a, yeah. be- or a benefit concert in my case, right? Absolutely. I mean, yeah, I think yes. that would be something that, I, and I do know that um, a lot of the people that I, I come into contact because of course I work in the, in the music community. And I, I think that in, it's very, very common among writers and artists that there's somewhere in their childhood, there was trauma, whether it was happening to them or they were witness to it and it was part of their life. And that mm-hmm. made an indelible impression on the way we saw things, the way we felt things, and it shifted us in some ways. And I think that this is quite possibly one of the most important things for all of us to turn to as we as we move forward is, you know, I mean, violence is violence. And we know unless we call it out, unless we talk about it in programs like this, mm-hmm. where we make it aware. It's it's so important that people like us talk about people that need help. Really, it is. So, um, going forward and wrapping up for the day, what? Why don't you just give me some numbers again so our listeners can find out how to reach you, and you know we can we can absolutely let people know how to, how to be able to help you guys also. Sure. So the twenty four seven hotline for the battered women's shelter. So the emergency line that folks can call to get shelter is three three zero. Three seven four one 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 one. The business line I will share as well. So if you want to get a hold of me or interested in having a presentation or a tabling event, or I can do like a lunch and learn over Zoom, I can come to your church group, Kiwanis, I do them all. Um, the business line is 330 And our website again is www hopeandhealingresources.org. And there are so much information on our website. So please, please give us a visit. I just want to say thank you on behalf of Recovery Talks for coming and talking to us. We've been speaking with Leanne Biltz from Hope and Healing. And, you know, one fact that I just kind of want to leave as we talk about is, you know, on a typical day, domestic violence hotlines receive approximately 21,000 calls that's approximately 15 calls every minute regarding intimate partner domestic abuse. And, you know, folks, if, if we do nothing, we're doing something. We have to act. We have to make a difference. Ladies and gentlemen, you've been listening to Recovery Talks, the podcast. I want to say thank you for hanging with us for this edition. And stay tuned for more episodes with more guests as we share the journey from the darkness to the light. And until then, everyone, please stay standing and steady on. 